Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to Unmarked, a collaborative podcast brought to you by Soccer Bible and Out of Home. Let's go! Yo, you're listening to the Unmarked Show. This is Unmarked. Yo, this is Unmarked. This is Unmarked. Wouldn't believe it, Jeff. He's broken past two defenders, completely on his own in the box. Now tuning in to the Unmarked Podcast. You're listening to Unmarked, featuring Kieran, Kwame, Yaf and Steven. You London boys are crazy. Get straight into it, man. By rules, it, by rules, it should be Kwame, but I'll do it. <laughs> or you got to do it, yeah. You're doing it for me. No, Kwame's already flustered. No, no, do your thing, man. Do your thing. <laughs> All right, then. Um, welcome to the Unmarked Podcast. A football series brought to you by Soccer Bible and Out of Home. Four Londoners living in Amsterdam, capturing and sharing stories of inspiring people while sharing our own. This football series is like no other. It gives some of your favourite players space to speak freely and give you, our listeners, the opportunity to learn more about them away from the pitch and see them more than just footballers. Naturally, I have the mandem with me. I've got Yaf, I've got Steven, I have Kwame. But joining us today in the house is a very, very special guest indeed. Uh, This lady has played more than 100 times for England. Her long and illustrious career has seen her play in the UK, in the US, and most recently in Italy. It's none other than striker, Enia Luca. Here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. Enia, welcome. (laughs) Obviously, we've spoken a little bit already and... I think that's probably one of the dopest intros or like pre-recording conversations we've already had. So I can yeah, tell it's going to be a sick session. But um, yeah, like we like we said, it's just going to be very open, very chilled. We just want to find out a little bit more about you. And yeah. you know, you're a very open book anyway. And I think a lot of the stuff that you do and who you are as a person is is quite out there to see and is accessible. But the purpose of this hopefully is to try to get you to know you a bit more. Our challenge to ourselves is always to try and unearth maybe like one or two things that no other media outlet could ever find yeah. out about our guests so that's kind of always our challenge to ourselves but yeah I guess it'll be good to kind of start from the beginning right like that's where we always try to start with our with our guests and I think from our side um, everyone has a story but sometimes people only ever see the success side you know like the glitz and the glamour but I'm sure you had a start um you know your uh, and well-established female football player, um, but I'm sure that wasn't an easy road. So, uh, really, just curious. Wait, yeah, sorry, Annie. Before you start and you answer this question, I have to jump in because before anyone answers anything on the show, we have to ask. We do this thing called "What made you smile this week," and because we haven't done it so long, we haven't been asking anyone what made them smile. And I feel like uh, this would be a great opportunity to do that. And we do that because um, we like to just reflect on what's been happening in our week, be super ground, grateful for what we have. And yeah, we just like go around the room and ask each other what made us smile. So I would love to know what made you smile this week. And and I guess the guys will share and then we'll get into your story. I love that. Um, well, it's only Tuesday. So the last seven days, maybe. <laughs> 
Well, <laughs> today actually was an amazing day for me because I sat down with one of my mentors. Um, I won't mention his name because he's pretty big in the game, but um, he he's a sporting director as well. So obviously I'm a sporting director at the moment at Aston Villa. And the nuggets, the gems, the wisdom I got from this man, like mm-hmm. the time, um, it was just amazing. Um, because I now feel very confident that what I'm doing is 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 I'm on the right track. The politics that you know, working for a football club is very political. Um, you know, um, and he's got my he's he's in my corner. So to to have someone like that in your corner who's been there, done it at the highest level, um, really meant a lot to me. And that was literally two hours ago. Like I sat down yeah, with him for like, two and a half hours. Um, and he was telling me things that he probably shouldn't have told me, you know, but I think, you know, sometimes you, I don't know if you guys ever do mentoring, but you see, you see, you see a light in someone, you see sort of, and you sort of, you really want them to do well. That's mm. how I felt. Because um, it, cause it be, can be quite an isolating job. So it really made me happy today. So I'll Amazing. probably say, yeah. We've got a lot to live up to, guys. Thank you for sharing. Who wants to go? I can go then. Yes, please, Craig. I can go. Um, Yeah, basically today, um, I presented to over 400 people um, about an an initiative I'm very passionate at work through about diversity and inclusion. Just to speak about what uh, my team have done, what we have done, what we're trying to do for next year. And it was like quite a... A corporate call, but at the end, I, I gave my little injection of life and charisma. If that, if I have any, maybe I do. And um, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, basically, um, like you know, before like, you know, before I was a little bit nervous. Like you know, it's like, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna say? What am I gonna say? Then when it happened, I was like, bro, like just natural. I was myself because I was because I was talking about something that I truly believe in and truly care for. So I've never spoken to more than hundred people today. So I definitely smashed that time for so. That's what I did. That's what made me smile this week. I speaking about something that I care about and people are engaged and trying to trying to help bring change small, small, that like with me. So that's my time. Sick. <laughs> Obviously, we've had another version of lockdown, right? That's kind of been affecting everyone across mm-hmm. Europe, especially London and Amsterdam. Uh, and so, yeah, for me, I've kind of just got the cooking bug back, man. Like going on different nice. different YouTube channels. Anyone wants to have like bad boy Caribbean food, yeah? Go on Terry Ann's kitchen. Yo, they got a pay for that for the advertisement. Rare, <laughs> no, no, no. She's a G, bro. So I've, I've kind of just been like going back on her recipes and just trying new stuff. Like today, just made some nice salmon with like some spinach, prawn, cream cheese, parmesan filling. Oh. Amazing. So I always like to increase my repertoire when it comes to the meals that I can make because prior to lockdown, I maybe had like two or three signature dishes. And, you know, once you've cooked those three dishes for, for people, it's like, all right, what else have you got? Now man's ready, fam. When we can start having guests again in the house, it's going to be like fine dining cuisine at the studios. So, um, yeah, little one for me, but that's that's kind of what's made me smile. Um um, so yeah, so I've been like internally, I've been working on a project uh, about like amplifying uh, culture, specifically like Nigerian culture, and that's seen me talk to like uh, everybody in our company, both like uh, here and in the US. And then I think on Thursday with another good friend of mine, uh, Jenny, we're gonna kind of launch uh, internally 
um, that content or that piece of work and it's going to be a series so like kind of like the first of its kind so that was one uh, also um, kind of I've been going to the gym just because I pay membership and um, trying to get that ROI this story and keeps re- like, keeps recycling and, 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 no because today I've seen like first signs of uh, biceps and pectorials so my guy yeah, so like I, I thought it was something else in the pectorals mirror. rather like, than pectorials, still, but you know, keep going. When you're a gym head, you can call it what you want, so you wouldn't know. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> seen first signs of some uh, some improvement, so I'm gonna renew the membership. So it's on kind of a rolling contra- contract at the moment, but um, no, that was encouraging. And then um, I've been tapping into Hearns' workouts as well, so that's been uh, so that's been a shout out Hearns as well. Holy Hearns doing his thing. Um, yeah, so those are two things that made me smile this week. Mine's really simple. Um, I literally just had come off a phone call with my mum, maybe like a couple hours ago, maybe the same time that you had your conversation with your mentor, any, and it was just a really short conversation, but it was like everything that I needed. So like that's what I needed, and like just what made me smile. So yeah, really short and sweet, man. But yeah, that's it, man. Perfect. I totally forgot about that, man. Anyway, basically, <laughs> we've been doing like a. Um, a series of our own, like every we've been doing two a week, innit, guys? Two a week, yeah. And we it's like short, sharp content, 30, 45 minutes with like just different black creatives and individuals. Um, but really just honing in on their story. So we've kind of been skipping out this first part of what made you smile. So I've kind of just been in that zone and completely forgot yeah, to ask. Yeah. But it's nice, it's a nice level set in it of just yeah, it you know, reminding you of, of everything. But um now that we're all happy and smiling, yeah. <laughs> um, and it will be great to sort of dive into your story and just, yeah, just get a, a better understanding of how it all started for you. Yeah, so um, I grew up in Birmingham, so South Birmingham area called Kings Norton uh, on, a, on a council estate. Um, so I came to, my, came to, I was born in Nigeria, the only one of my siblings, there's five of us that were born in Nigeria, so very proud of that came when I was like six months old um and then yeah grew up in Birmingham on the council estate and um on this council estate there was lots of other boys who played and then I had a younger brother Shawnee who um was two years younger than me and so we just started playing football and, and I think we were born with a natural gift of playing football but we were able to express it quite quickly so by the time five six years old we were out playing like all the time. We we're just out, um, and there was no there was no other girls though. So I sort of had to assimilate myself into a group very quickly, group of boys very quickly. Um, so it really accelerated my ability to play football because I had to figure out how to kind of dribble around boys, and um, and then I, I was very much accepted in that group. So you know. I was one of the boys, you know, from a very, very young age. So football for me was my way into a group, you know. Um, and so I clung on to it. That's all I wanted to do growing up was just play football, play football, play football. I'd come back from school, I'd play football. I'd be at school, I'd play football. Um, so that was that was kind of my first sort of introduction to football. Um, and then... When I got to about 12, um, at this point, I was kind of well known for being like, oh, the girl that's really good at football. Um, And then I kind of outgrew the school team. So it was kind of like a really difficult time for me because it was a time when like, I could feel that parents were getting a little bit jealous. That was better than their sons. And 
I started getting, you know, a little bit of heat from parents on the sidelines. And so I went back to my mum. I was like, I don't really want to play anymore. Like, you know, I feel wow. like I'd want odd one out all the time. Um, so I started playing tennis for a little bit. And again, I think because at that point, the Williams sisters were quite big. It was my aspiration. I was like, oh, black women, sport, mm-hmm. like it was the cookie. Whereas football wasn't really on TV. Mm-hmm. We, couldn't, we couldn't watch it. So it was one of them where it's like, okay, I'll do that because it looks like it's more accepted. Um, but I didn't really, I wasn't, I wasn't as good at tennis as I was at football. And it was a completely different social experience, I think. Tennis was a middle-class white game. Football was like, you know, like the kids from the estate. So um, I didn't really enjoy it. And so I then found a girls' team, a local girls' team that I played for, called Leaford Athletic. And that's when it was like, ah, there's other girls that play football. I'm not an alien. Um, So that was kind of the early... But, I, you know, I had a great childhood because football was just everything. I grew up as a Man U fan. Come not on. Anymore, not anymore. Oh. <laughs> good, good decision, good decision. What, 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 turned you, what turned you away or who turned you away? Do you know what's crazy? When I, was a, I was a big, big Man U fan and uh, a big Cantona and Giggs fan. Yeah. And I didn't really understand, obviously, the business of football that players leave. Yeah. So when Cantona left... Honestly, guy, I look back, I was Dumb. like, I was weird. Like, I cried. <laughs> I was, you know, I ripped down my posters for my wall. I felt wow. personally uh, betrayed. And then I just never really... Recovered from that. I never really recovered from that. <laughs> and, then, and then after that, I was a bit of a fair weather fan. And then obviously I played for Chelsea for, for, for so long and I really feel very connected to that club. So now I'm a Chelsea fan. But I've named my fish after, after Man United players. Come on. So I've got fish in my pond. I've named them Eric Cantona and Ryan Giggs, the big fish. So I got a bit of a connection back. But um, yeah, so that was that was early days. You, you made wow, the right man. decision to, to leave because um, I know the PSG game's coming up and I'm no Neymar. Neymar's <laughs> going to do a madness and these guys won't let me forget yeah. about it. But but. Um, I had a real quick question about just like your your parents because um like uh, I think we can all relate to like African parents. I always tell the story. The only reason I'm not a pro is because like my mum was just like, uh, uh, go and read your books, fix your books. Yeah. And I'd, my mum famously ran over the football when she came to watch me and didn't come back ever since then. But wow. um, what, what were your parents like, and how was that I- experience for you? Do you know I'm really blessed for my mum because when I look back. Actually, as I said, I was the odd one out. So mm. it would be it would have been very easy for her to be like, you know, what kind of child is this? You know, go and do what other girls do. But she never she was never like that. She always encouraged my talent to just keep blossoming. She took me to tennis when I wanted. So she always allowed me to feel like my gift wasn't weird. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Whereas other Nigerian parents, as you said, they're all the same. Be a lawyer, be a this, be that, and that's fine. But you're also you're 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 not allowing the flower to grow in the way it wants to grow. If your child is a gifted musician or athlete, you gotta let that grow. You don't know who they can become, mm-hmm. you know. So my mom was really really important, and it's only now I look back that I realize how important she was. She never yeah. discouraged me from playing with the boys. And then, obviously, when I started going to school, senior school, obviously, there was kind of encouragement to make sure I was doing well at school. 
which I mean, I'm the kind of person that want to do well in everything I do anyway. I think I was just, that's just how God made me. So I wanted to do well in school, but it was this balancing act all the time of, of playing football and doing well in school. She supported me with that as well. So when I, by the time I got to university, it was then about do a course, do something that's going to give you a plan B yep. moving yep. forward. So I did law, became a lawyer, and my mum was quite strict on me with that. That's the only time okay. I, re- I, re- I that's the only time I feel like my mum was quite adamant that I had to do something. She was like, this football thing, yeah, it's fine, but it's not a career path yet. Mm. It's different now, you know. Yeah. Now the girls' contracts are decent, they're full-time jobs, but back then it wasn't. So she was quite strong on me on that. But I'm, again, I'm grateful for that because I feel like yeah. I've got sort of multiple careers that I, I'm, I'm able to handle. I feel like that's a generational thing because obviously like um, I look back at like my parents and like the sacrifice they made to come over here, start a complete new life, hustle. Like my mum was working a couple of jobs. My dad was also between Nigeria and, and London as well. So I feel like now um, the generation where we're at, like we've seen kind of, okay, cool. You can be a musician, you can uh, be a footballer or you can be a creative director or you can be like, there's different pathways to success. So I feel like we're, I think the generations to follow probably be a little bit more open to that and we'll see a new kind of era. But like it's what they have to be. They have to be. I think I think what what the game changer was seeing people like Wizkid, Burner Boy, Mm. you know, you know, a lot of the Nigerian footballers, them doing well gives our parents the opportunity. And you know, Nigerians are very we're very fickle, you know. My grandma up until I was on TV. Didn't care about football. <laughs> when I was on TV, she said, ah, that's my, that's my daughter. That's my daughter. <laughs> so I was like, oh, it's now, it's now that you see. So, so I feel like there has to be examples of success yeah. Yeah. for them to say, yes, it's okay. Go and do, mm. you know, this, whatever it may be. So I think that has been the game changer for... yeah. A lot of industries, you know, we're seeing people, we're seeing Ghanaians, for example, like um, Edward Enninful and, and Virgil Abloh doing their thing in fashion. Again, that that opens up a whole new world for the future generations oh. to say, I want to be the next Virgil Abloh. I want to be the next, any, whatever that may be. So yeah. I think that's really important. Sick, sick. Yeah, it's, it's, I think um, like that perception of, parents and that generation from Nigeria is certainly shifting like you only have to look at the new crop of creatives coming out of Nigeria yeah. some of the stuff they're doing man like have you heard of Rema any I haven't but I'll check check is it her it's, um, yeah, it's a good. guy music okay. like it's kind of like a youthful version of Wizkid but the music pop him listen the talent is is mm. I mean the talent I'm just so proud because there's nothing mm. that can compete with it you know, yeah, and I, it's becoming globalized as well now. It's becoming globalized. It's becoming copied. You know, mm-hmm. the, the the richness of the fashion, of the music, of mm. the of the culinary scene now. Now, the culinary scene, you're seeing that Nigerian restaurants pop up in London that are doing things different. You know, it's not 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 just Nigeria. It's Ghana. I mean, I spent Ghana. I spent ten days in Accra last for the New Year for for Year of Return. I had the most amazing time. 
I bought art from, from, from Ghanaian artists. Yeah. It's just, you know, I'm so proud because growing up, to be honest, it wasn't cool to be Nigerian. I mean, yeah. I, I'm probably the same age as you guys, I think, maybe a little bit yeah. older, but I grew up in the 90s when, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, I was called African Bootu, mm-hmm. Lips. It wasn't cool to be Nigerian. It's cool to be Jamaican. Yeah. And, and obviously they had their right. own artists and they had their own, you know, but Shout now... Shout out to Mavado. Yeah, you Don't know, vibes cartel and all them guys. I listened, I listened to all of that, but it was never cool to be African. Now it's now it's like whoa, like you know, Africa mm. to the world, you know. So yeah. I'm really, I'm genuinely proud. I'm genuinely where do you proud think? Where do you think that comes from, Any? What 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 comes from? Sorry, it's, you said like it's now cool to be African. What what do you think's changed and shifted and? Um, yeah, how do you see that continuing to evolve? I think I think the cycle of music. I genuinely feel like the people like Wizkid and Burner mm. and Debange and and these guys. Yes, I was gonna say Debange. That, I think Debange was one of the first ones. Yeah, he he, he, he was the first when he heard that. Yeah, yeah. So just broke that kind of. It's only Africa now. It's not global. I think that really changed people's perspective of okay African culture. Yeah, and then you know, for those of us in diaspora, you know, people don't really celebrate it enough, and I think it should be shouted about enough. But Africans are some of the most educated people. They're the ones that go to Cambridge, the ones that go to Oxford. So I think as the generations have started to realize, actually, you know, I can start my own business. I can, you know, I think I think that's what's, you know, and football as well. You know, I used to watch people like Drogba and. You know, Michael Sen and JJ Kocha when it like all of that, I think sort of normalizes Africa um, as a positive thing. You know, because the narrative for so long was, oh, it's corrupt, and you know, everybody there, you know, is poor, and um, so I, I just think there's a different view now mm-hmm. of Africa through the arts that has now changed the whole view of of, of what it's about. Mm. It's that whole concept, I guess, of like um, life imitates art, right? Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a, it's a snapshot. It's a, mm. it's a representation. You know, even Wizkid talking about um, what's that song? Uh, you know my oh, yeah. story. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It gave us exposure to you know the the sort of poverty in Nigeria and where he came from and you know so even as Nigerians it, you know not everything's Banana Island and Ikoyi it's, it's there's other parts to it you know so mm. without him I wouldn't have known that yeah, yeah. so so artists art for me is so important like how it kind of opens up the world for all of us to learn more and now I think history is you know history starting to you know I know Akala quite well and what he's done, you know, in terms of opening people's eyes to yeah. the history before slavery, like, no, we yes. need to learn that we were kings yes. and queens. We were, we were, we were right. running the show. Yep. Like, right. we need to know that stuff, you know. And 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 he's a big, you know, he's big on that. And and you know, so I think it's it's slowly, slowly, you know, it's slowly, okay. slowly changing perception. I'm glad you mentioned like that education part because I watched on Netflix and I don't know if you man have seen it, but um, there's um, there's a 
there's a sh- a series a documentary about the colonialism of Nigeria and oh, no. like Sorry. yeah yeah no I'll send you it for me I was I was deeply troubled this week that at my age it was the first time I was learning about my own history and I think it's it 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 uh, it made me so sad but it was so interesting because it was like nine parts. And then I remember saying to, and I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to bed. I need to watch everything. I need to know everything. I was like, cause I was just like, wow. Like even the root name of the word. And even till today, I posted up a story just saying that some of our streets are still adorned with our colonial, uh, colonial officers. They're named like Bodilon street, you know, uh, for me, it's like places that I've been to. And then like, at the time I was just like, mm, this is a weird name, but never thought anything of it. But like, that's somewhere that was regularly going. And then only until now, it's just like, wow, this is what was happening. And if, and you will see that um, uh, the, it had the, one of the greatest quotes at the end. It says sometimes um, it was that the, the colonized take on the behavior of their colonizers. Yeah. And when you see what's ha- happening right now with the NSARS now movement, uh, Nigeria's had a couple of these three, four, five of them with the women leading like a really big movement as well. And like, um, for me, I, I'll send a link out um, after this, but like for me, I was deeply troubled when I troubled and also understanding that we're such a new country, just 60 years is yeah. like my, my nan is 90. So for 30 years, so, she's 30 years she experienced um uh, colonialism and then for the rest of her life she experienced it so she's actually older than the new nation of nigeria so i think it's so so important that needs this this needs to be taught we've had this year people pulling down statues because they finally understand the meaning of the things around us and like i was like why would you not have problems when there's a generation that don't even know where they're coming from but the knowledge comes first you know knowledge is power without knowing we can't really do anything I think what what tends to happen is that everybody wants to be woke without doing the work to be woke. So I need to know my history. I need to know my history. I need to watch that documentary. But what's happened is is that history has been edited and whitewashed. Mm. So we're not able to actually make informed decisions because it's been edited out. So we need to go back and say, actually, let me just check the other side of that story. Yeah. You know, let me just uh, so give yourself a more well round, and it starts from schools. It starts from yes. early, yeah. um, so so uh, you know, even at our age, we do need to be making sure that we're very intentional about, uh, you know, what we're educating ourselves about, because until then, you can't really change anything. Mm-hmm. Facts. Facts. That's so interesting, man. I think any like we we spoken about a couple of things around um, like Nigeria and how perceptions have sort of changed. You're obviously someone who grew up playing football, had a little bit of a, you know, like a a debut in tennis, but then kind of went back. Um, How do you think the perception of women's football is changing now? Kind of fast forward to where we're at now versus how you started. Like, how have you seen that shift? Yeah, that's been a massive shift. Um, Growing up, you know, as a female footballer, it was like, you know, it was seen as sort of only for butch women that were fat and, you know, weren't elite athletes. It wasn't seen as an elite sport. Um, There's all sorts of negative stereotypes. Um, Seen as a social sport, you know, the girls go around the pub with the blokes and play football. Um, But now um, it's, it's seen as an elite sport. It's seen as um something that helps 
the big clubs, the brand of the big clubs further. Um, so now you see all the big big clubs having women's teams, investing in women's teams. Um, I think the Olympics did a lot for it because we opened up we opened up the Olympics. So like millions of people were like, women's football is decent. Like what's you know? So it really exposed us as players. It exposed the sport, and obviously it was a home Olympics, so it meant that clubs were able to say, Do you know what, we need to get ahead of the curve um, and and invest. And the thing is with women's football, you know, you hear about these extortionate salaries. You know, players getting paid. Uh, I don't know, Bamiyang, 250 grand a week. Mm. To run a decent women's team, you're talking two to four million a year budget yeah. for the entire thing. <laughs> it, it's it's the salary of one player in the men's That's game. That's crazy. So a lot of clubs go, do you know what, actually, it's not even going to cost anything to do it properly. Mm. So I think there was a bit of a sort of game changer with the Olympics and then clubs factored in the fact that you know what actually if we don't do this we get bad PR so Man United for example took a long time Real Madrid took a long time because I think there was still sexist you know there's a bit of sexist mentality towards it girls playing football what do you mean but actually if you do it well um, it's great for the brand it's great for the club it's you know you engage with a whole different side of the community Mm -hmm. for example you engage with a whole different consumer. You know, 50% of the world is women. If you're if you're cutting them out of the whole conversation around football, I mean, like, for example, me, I grew up fanatical about football. I know more about football than most men. But people wouldn't think that because I'm a woman. But it's like, mm-hmm. what, for 15 years, I only watched men's football. There's no women's football on TV. Fact. So... There's a lot of women that are so passionate about football that they're not spoken to because it's only seen as a man's game. So it's changed a lot, and I'm happy it's changed a lot. What's what would you say is your your vision for the future of women's football? Well, obviously, I'm now in a position at, at, as head of football at Aston Villa to really shape, mm. you know, where a team goes in terms of its journey. Um, and I think for me, I have a bit of a commercial mind. So I think women's football teams, in order to start making money and being profitable, we need to see ourselves as brands. And the clubs need to see themselves as, and you guys have, you know, work for brands, so you understand this. But you know, what what obviously you're you're only as good as the team on the field. So that's obvious. Mm-hmm. You've got you've got to try and build a good team. But beyond that, what is the brand like? What is what does Aston Villa mean to the community? Women, sorry, Aston Villa women mean to the community. And then once you create that, you then start to attract other brands who want to align with that. Mm. So, I saw, your, I, saw, I saw your comment about um, kind of like what you see as a future of fans, and that being like to be considered like a good fan, you have to not only support the men's game, but you need to support the totality of that club. So that's men's, women's, and even kids. And I thought that was like such an interesting like uh, insight and point of view because um, now I love I love it on Twitter right now because um, you have like men who are like staunch, like you know, you know your typical pub goers, like all of a sudden like checking in on like um, how the female teams are doing and like doing their best to like you know have have the same level of conversation that they are with the men's game there and I think like it's so like endearing to see 
that happening and for them it's just them being a good support of the whole club and not a part of it so I think that's a really uh, interesting mind shift that you that you were talking about yeah no that's the way I see it going I see it um being sort of a brands a brand value that can then be um supported by bigger commercial brands um you know, I see it as something that can engage with the community much better than men's football. I think men's football has become so big and such a monster financially that there's a disconnect between the community. Especially now, yeah, especially, sure. now, especially like now, with COVID and the fact that, you know, the, the women, women's games. game, yeah, yeah, 15 pound per game. I think, like, sorry to cut you any, but I think we're seeing like this bigger divide now between reality and what's happening like there's people losing their jobs and shout gunnosaurus a real well, situation and then football's continued and people are still getting these astronomical wages they're asking fans yeah to pound a match like yeah it's interesting but you see you see now i'm on the other side of it the club side i kind of you know clubs are a bit damned if you do damned if you don't because let's take arsenal for example anyone an arsenal fan Cut all of them, all of them. <laughs> right. So, so let let let, yeah, yeah. let 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 me give you this. So so, Aubameyang, yeah, Aubameyang was holding out for a, a new contract. Yeah, yeah. Aubameyang is the best player. Without Aubameyang, you guys have no chance of winning the league. Anytime. No chance. No chance. Right. All right. So, all right, on one hand, Arsenal fans would have said, "Listen, pay this guy whatever you what." Just pay him, yeah? But then on the other hand, where do you think that money comes from? <laughs> you, but then on the other hand, you don't want clubs to charge £15 when they're, not, they're losing millions a week from not having the fans in, which is no one's fault. They didn't create COVID. Football clubs didn't create COVID. Mm. So fans want the clubs to fork out money that, you know, clubs run like businesses as well. So fans want that, but then complain when clubs are trying to make money in order to fund that. And then on top of that, clubs go, do you know what, actually, we're going to give back to the community. Beginning of COVID, clubs did a lot. There's a lot that was going on in community, whether it was food banks, whether it was um, giving, like Tottenham opened up their stadium for, for, for NHS. There was a lot going on. But the perception is, Clubs are greedy and clubs are... But without the fans, there's no money. Like, we've created the monster, if that makes sense. Mm. So without us wanting to pay £80 a week to go watch Arsenal, Man United, the clubs won't have the ability to pay the players that we're trying to watch. So... I totally agree. Do, yeah. do you get me? So, so I when agree I, totally. when sometimes I When sometimes I see fans complaining, I'm like, but what do you think fans the players that you would insist... If if Arsenal let Aubameyang go, there would have been anarchy. Yeah. I lie? It's true, it's true. And, you and, got, you, no, no lies told. But you got to no, pay him. No lies I totally told. agree. I agree with everything you're saying, but I think that the, the main thing for me, like you said, was um, perception, right? And I think, for me, the perception of the men's game versus the women's game is that the women's game is very... Very much more connected to community, like Accessible, you mentioned. Accessible, yeah, you're right, you're right. And and even as a player, you know, we did a lot in the community. We did a lot of trying to inspire young girls, talking to that young girl, taking time. 
making sure that you know and and we need to do that because the next generation you know we we need participation we need more girls playing so it is a different sport in that sense i'm not saying male players don't do that you know we see marcus rashford we see these amazing you know i think Definitely. a lot of, a lot of football players also get a bad reputation for for just being about the money that's not true either but i think in terms of the women's game in terms of the way it operates we're much more connected to the fans you know the the, the community the young girl who wants to come and be inspired and i think that's really that's really important that's really important that we continue to do that i thought, I thought it was like really interesting because i think the media also play like a key role like to what yaf was saying like uh perception is built a lot of the time by the media and i feel like whether it's fashionable or not but like the the men's the men's game is pictured as being this like this this beast this juggernaut like money 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 and then obviously like there's a lot of goodwill around uh growing the the women's game and that classic one at the press do like they'll build you up to like um, knock you down at, at some point so i feel I, when you as you were talking now i was just thinking about the way um the same sport is reported on but very differently and actually what that, what's that done your point about Aubameyang's wages I was just going through all the tweets of how that was being reported you know our Gunnosaurus has uh been relieved of his duties like there was uproar so like yeah it, it's it's mad how much influence like the the media has and how one story told in a different way can elicit a completely different uh emotion and um yeah yeah it's, it's very interesting listen the, me- the media will do what the media will do but but which is why it's so important for platforms like this to be the other voice. We can't stop. You know, one thing I learned, we can't stop what journalists want to say. We can't stop the clickbait. We can't stop the lies. We can't because it sells. What we can do though, is create our own platforms as you guys are doing to, to, to to say facts and say, well, he ain't like that. And that's where I think a lot of players now have realized, you know what, actually, I have more followers than the club. Yeah. <laughs> so why am I, the players are why the brands I, now. Yeah. Why am I doing an interview with, with Telegraph and all the? I'm going to say, I'm going to tweet it. And that's facts. Mm. And yeah. then it's like, oh, and then the journalists want to be the first one to write an article yeah. about what Raheem Sterling said on his Twitter. Twitter. But had you have told the truth in the first place, we wouldn't be here. Yeah. So I love the fact now that players are taking control of their own platforms and speaking direct whether it's Raheem Sterling, whether it's Tyrone Mings, whether it's Marcus Rashford, like everyone's, everyone's, uh, Troy Deeney's great. Like, you know, there's a lot of players now that are like, do you know what, actually, uh, my voice is powerful. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
Alright, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. Where do you think that's going, Any? Like with social media only getting bigger and bigger. How do you think that sort of control of one's narrative is going to continue to evolve? Well, I think that the only the only option, I think we're in a great place because the narrative is is controlled now by players and their platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Colin Kaepernick probably started that revolution. Yeah, you know, in terms of it not just being something on Twitter, but social change as well. You know, and being able to galvanize a whole society of people to change something because you are celebrated as an athlete. So I don't think clubs now have that much control, to be honest with you, over, you know, players being able to say the important things that, that are close to their heart. Man United can't turn around to Marcus Rashford and say, mm, can you can you stop tweeting? Mm. He'll be like, <laughs> why? Yeah, yeah. You know, whereas maybe 10, 15 years ago, players were petrified to do anything that was sort of not seen as um, dedicated to the club and focused yeah. on the club. And it's changed a lot. It's something that we've spoken on this on the podcast before because I feel like, you know, players don't want to step out of line because that's a, 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 a space that's dictated by people that don't look like us. Like they've made the rules. They've they've they know there are certain characteristics and there are certain personas that fit up this mold or fit the pitch, basically, right? And for so long, with well, before social media, it it's it's been a place and it's been so easy just to fall in and and, and stay in line. But now we're seeing obviously off the back of Cap, as you said, but even yourself, any people have spoken out against certain things that have happened within football and within sport. When yeah. we start to see that, that we have a power within our voice and the power to, to use it. Don't get me wrong. It, 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 it's not as easy as saying, you know, just 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 say what you need to say and that's it. Mm. Um, I'm a firm believer that you, you have to be in a position where you are uh, important and mm. um, not indispensable because I think every player is indispensable, but... If Marcus Rashford wasn't a big player for Man United scoring goals, yeah, it's then diff- it, he, his voice is not as prominent. Yeah, um, you got you got to perform. You got to still perform and do mm-hmm. what you do, mm-hmm. um, because then it's easy to dis- for you to be discarded and go oh, you know, too much trouble. Can't even score anyway. Mm. Bye. Mm. The other side of it is that you have to count the cost. So. Yeah. With with for me at England, I was in a position where I was like, I have a hundred caps. I know whatever I say is gonna resonate and it's gonna, you know, it's gonna change. But I knew I was never gonna play for England again. Mm. I knew. Yeah. So yeah. you count that cost in order to to make change. Mm. Had I had I been like, mm, do you know what? I quite want to play for England. I wouldn't have said anything. I'm just being totally honest with you guys. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I get it. I get yeah. it. And that's probably why you heard silence from the women's team. Yeah. 
because nobody else was really willing to actually, you know, and I and I do get that. It was hard at the time because I was like, right, like, no, you knew what was going on. No mm. one's backing me. Mm. But that's the trade-off. And I think that's where we have power as well because when, when you know, it's like chess, you know, if someone if someone sort of offers you something and says, well, if you be quiet, take that, or you know, I'll offer you a new contract. If you, yeah, you got to be able to say, no, nah, actually, this is what matters most to me. So it's not as simple as just, no, of course not. You know, using mm. your platform. The reality is, is there's trade offs and always a trade off. Yeah, yeah, you got to perform. Yeah. You you guys will know. I mean, you work with many brands, and now we're in a point where actually with these important cultural platforms companies are coming to you because they realize that our voices are important to the people that are buying the product mm. so you know we, we just got to keep we got to be smart yeah no that's gotta... that's very true any because you know like now uh nike are releasing colin kaepernick branded collections and he's not in the league but he was an athlete all, all the whilst before you understand? And also, that I think we have an, a point to raise because you know the sport industry is so fickle. Colin Kaepernick was once on the same on the same kind of level as a young Russell Wilson. There were these up and coming quarterbacks that were going far in the playoffs. Colin Kaepernick, before everything, went to a went to a, a Super Bowl. He didn't win, but at, I think under age under, under twenty four, he was ready in Super Bowl. But because at the time he was on the bench. And people only think in the in, in the now, not in the past. He was a bum, so I don't care about you. So you can talk your, you understand. It's like you know, Arsenal fans. I'm an Arsenal fan. I was upset when I heard about the redundancies and um, and Gunasaurus. But on what do you call it? On deadline day, I was I was my my my, my, my dreams came true. We're having parties for the last two weeks about <laughs> about, 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 about about man like Thomas because in what in what one fell swoop we spent fifty million plus because I'm thinking that's what we need to be competitive. So. Yeah, it's it's. I understand what you mean. Like, and sports, as we know, is extremely fickle. Very yeah. fickle, very, very fickle. And 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 now, um, I think gone are the days where a Roman Abramovich with deep deeper pockets than the Atlantic Ocean is just going to go bang. Mm-hmm. Now owners are like, no, it needs to run like a business. Really, you and see that now? In you? Yeah, and and financial fair plays. Financial fair players also encourage that. So financial exactly. fair play is there to keep clubs in check. You can't just be losing fifty million a year, mm. and you know, and just you know. So, like Messi, for example, ten years ago, Man, Man City would have signed Messi like that, done. But they couldn't sign him because it was like, well, you'll breach financial fair play. And I think that's good. I, I do think that's good because it you, means you, that you think so. Yeah, I think it's good because it encourages good business practice. I think yep. it, it, it makes it more competitive. Um, I think this is where American leagues do very well. Yeah. yeah. They, they they manage competitive balance. NFL, NBA, yes, the players are paid extortionate amounts of money, but, but one team can win one year and another team can win another year because yeah. the competitive balance is managed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's what's coming into the game now. Um in the Premier League I think it's more better financial management 
there's two interesting things that you said there. So like one, as a Man United fan, I know all about frugality and um, the transfer window. And <laughs> no, you don't. Oh, only <laughs> until like, now. Like, only until no, now. No, 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 no. no. Did, there's a, it's a clear you, pattern. Bro. What are you talking nah, about? No, 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 no. It's a clear pattern. David Whenever Gill was a, was a checkbook king, bro. Don't talk to me. Yeah, seven, <laughs> seven years ago. Seven, nearly a decade ago. But when we make the, when we make, when we qualify for the Champions League, there's a certain spending pattern and when we don't, there's a certain spending pattern. So, like, if that just tells me that um, them at the Glazers and Co, like, they're looking at this, like, they don't even, they don't even want to know the name on the team sheet. They're just like, oh, not Champions League this year? Hit the button. All right, we made it. <laughs> wow. That's it. Man, man's going on about his day. He's not worried about anything over there. He's sipping on his, like, Tropicana. Meanwhile, I'm there in knots, not sleeping. So that was, like, one, Give it to them, Stephen. Like, Go on, bruv. <laughs> um, so vexed like why do you think Jaden Sancho didn't happen oh like, like oh, nah, backed that... out if that was back in the day that was oh. to be honest I think Jaden Sancho didn't happen because I think clubs now when dealing with Man United know they can take the piss a little bit yeah they can rip them off um, yeah. the, the, the sort of the weight of Man United is gone mm-hmm. um, and now Man United don't really seem like they've got some sort of strategy in the recruitment. It's sort of this mm. national grab. I mean, they've signed Cavani now, who I think is great. I think yeah, I he'll, think so. he'll actually do better than people probably think. But I don't think Cavani was the intended target. No, um, no, not at all. But I think there's now... It's, again, it's a catch-22. It's like, would you rather a billionaire owner who lives in America or China or some far-flung land? Mm. Or would you rather less money... And an owner who you know who's a bit more connected to the community, because yeah. fans like that. It, it, you know, at the end of the day, it's about what goes on on the pitch. Yeah. And if you're seeing, there's a lot of jealousy. If you're seeing Man City, you know, doing well, you're not. It's like, well, why, why can't we do that? But to do that, you need a billionaire owner. Yeah. You need a glazer. You need a, you know. So it's really interesting to me because I've learned the other side of the game, the business side of the game, being in my in my position. Yeah. Um, I was just about to touch on that as well, Andy, because uh, I think you're part of a rare crop of people who's been on both sides, right? Like you've played the game, um, but now you're also on the other side of it. Like how how have you seen your mindset shift, and how have you seen uh, the change? Like, do you now look at the side you used to be on very differently. How is that this space for you now that you're navigating through? Well, I see it really as, um, I see it as an opportunity to uh, give experience because I've been through it. So, you know, now I'm in the boardroom, I'm an executive. I'm able to understand what it feels like because I played. So I'm able to bring that knowledge to the conversation which is why I think a lot more athletes should be in the boardroom. By the um, way, sorry, congratulations on that because yeah, I think yes, all of us we, can attest to the fact that we need more representation <laughs> yes, in the boardroom. Yeah, we, we definitely do. 100%. We definitely do. And, I, and I'm shouting that. I'm shouting that as, as much as I can. Because, um, again, I don't want to be the illusion of inclusion. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I yes. know there's there's much more people, you know, that there's many talented black people out there that could, that could do what I do. Uh, I think Les Ferdinand's another one who's done doing an amazing job. But yeah, so I'm able to bring that experience to the conversation.
bring that nuance. Mm. Um, you know, I'm a lawyer, so, you know, I, I'm able to understand the contracts. Um, I'm a football fan, so I'm able to, again, try and understand from a, you know, women's football fan perspective, price points, all that kind of stuff. Um, but then I understand the business side of it. And so in terms of objective decision-making versus emotional decision-making, I think, again, I'm able, I needed to learn that as a player. I needed to understand that because you can't just kind of go in with emotion. You've got to understand how it works. Um, so I think there's, I think there's, um, there's perspectives that I, I've, I've learned very quickly in the nine months I've been in the job. Um, certainly on the finance and, and the business side. And I'm constantly trying to learn as well. I'm listening to podcasts on football finance. I'm doing a course because I'm a words person. I'm not a numbers person. So mm. if I'm managing budgets, I need to quickly understand what you know profit and loss looks like for a football team. And so I'm really excited to keep growing in that area as well. Because look, the, the overall goal for me is to one day maybe, you know, work for uh, work for an owner on you know on the men's side that I can I can sort of help the women's side on a higher even higher level than yes. I am now mm. um or you know work for a black owner uh, you know I said it I said it back in March when you know Black Lives Matter start, stuff was it March June when Black Lives Matter stuff happened there was a lot of talk about representation in sport I said well until there's decision makers in the boardroom that are black until we have an owner that is black that says, I want a black coach, there's not a conversation. Yeah. It, may, it may take a little while. From the top down, if that's a decision that's happening, that's a decision that's happening. Um, and there's a lot of wealthy black people. <laughs> you know, there's Michael Jordan's a billionaire, there's Dan Gotte's a billionaire, there's a lot of, there's a lot of billionaire black people. Oprah, if one of them wants to buy a club, why not? Trust me. Annie, what do you think are the, some of the um, advantages of more diversity in the boardroom? I think uh, I think the advantage is, is better decision-making. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's diversity of thought and um, the ability to make decisions that really um, are optimal, you know. I think there's nothing worse than having people sat around the table who think the same, talk the same, look the same. What's the point in that? Right. Um, you know, people people like to think that, oh, you know, black people just want to be included for the sake of it. No, we're, we're good at what we do. We're talented mm-hmm. too. <laughs> we've been, to, we've educated too. But we, no one gets anywhere without the opportunity. Mm-hmm. So we need the opportunity to show you that we can do it. Yeah. Um, and also the opportunity to fail. One of yeah. the worst things yeah. at the moment is that black coaches, the black coaches that get the opportunity, when they fail, it's like, oh, no, they can't do yeah, it. They can't do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas a, a, a white coach gets 10 opportunities, which is Someone's, fine. But yeah. we also, you know, we an Eddie Newton or a, or a Darren Moore, yeah. Saul Campbell. Yeah. Campbell or Chris Powell, like they're mm. they're good coaches, but you can't just write them off every time they fail, um, or, or keep recycling the same people. 
You're not open it. But you know, I I I joked earlier on this year about where's the next Black Mourinho? Where's the next Black Pep? He's coming. If you if you ain't looking, but if you ain't looking for it, mm. you ain't gonna find it. Mm. And and I and I, I mentioned those two because they weren't fantastic footballers. The look at the best coaches in the Premier League: Klopp, yeah, Mourinho, Mourinho. Mm. Pep. Okay, Pep Pep was decent. Oh, Pep was more than decent. Okay, Klopp and Mourinho, let's take that. Yeah, but after Wenger back in the day, even like Ferguson wasn't a great player, isn't it? Yeah. They were dead. Dead footballers. They were dead. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. You've lost the other two. (laughs) But the reality is, is that the way they saw the game was better than everyone else. So my thing is, is why do we think that the the, the pool of people we need to recruit from is only footballers? Why don't we go and find you know, a great interpreter or a great lawyer or that obviously knows the game. But, you know, it, it's a wider recruitment drive. I 100%. think it's just footballing. But I think, I, think I think it's because of the way that it's been set up for so long. Like, that's the organisation right. that like, the football and the FA and the PFA, they will look after them themselves, sort of thing. They look after their friends. And that's why it's, you start to see players like Frank Lampard being able to go straight into managing Chelsea as a first-time early. Uh, well, early, sorry, not a first-time, but no, very early in but his career. One you know year at Derby isn't yeah, enough exactly. for Chelsea. No, but yeah, this, yeah, exactly. this is what I'm saying, exactly. but this is what I'm saying. And, like, that's the way that the, the, the system has been built. But what you're saying and suggesting is amazing, but it's going to take a, a lot of change within those current structures for that thing to even happen. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's and why I, I, think, I think something like the Rooney Rule... Should come in mm. um, because I think if we rely on things to change just organically, it ain't gonna happen. Mm-hmm. That's not even how human beings work. Mm-hmm. You know, human beings are like, if it ain't broke, why am I gonna fix it? Yeah. You need to intentionally say, no, actually, uh, you need to interview at least two people of ethnic background. Yeah. And, you know, if they, because cream always rises to the top. They are the best people in the room. They'll get the job. Unless the owner's really racist and is like, I don't care even if they're the best person in the room, they ain't getting a job. So eventually it will get to a point if you impose that kind of thing, if you make it more intentional of a, of a recruitment drive, mm. it, it will change. But I think that's what it's going to take because otherwise people just fish in the same pond they've always fished in. I also think that you know, it's very important for clubs to understand that, you know, if you, again, you see you see new managers pop up all the time. Pochettino at, at one point at Southampton was like, who's he? You know, so... And he used to do all of his interviews with a translator, bruv. Right, <laughs> right. So Marketing. it's like, who's going to take a risk? Who's going to mm. get, you know? Because yeah. look, they did it with homegrown payroll. True. Homegrown, Very true. The homegrown player rule is a quota. It's true. So when they when yeah. they were when they when they wanted to improve the England team and they feared that there was too many foreigners in the league, they said, No, we're stopping this. Very good point. You have point. to have mm-hmm. at least eight young players in the team. I, I like it. I think it's yeah. great. Yeah, it's great. It's now great, we have yeah. an England team that's getting back to back semi-finals. Why? Because something was implemented ten years ago, yeah. whenever it was, to say we need to impose something that makes sure that English players get right. yeah. an opportunity is no different. Mm. 
Such a good point, man. Yeah, great point, man. Honestly. I'm looking forward to seeing the future of <clears throat> more representation in football, both on the men's and women's side. Um, but and you've had like you've had a, a really um, illustrious career. You're now doing bits off the pitch, ball into boardroom. That's what I've just kind of come up with in my head. Um, <laughs> and I know you're doing a lot of stuff um, outside of football as well, right? Um, there's well, like yeah. the side hustles. Yeah, yeah the side yeah. hustles piece. Like, can you maybe I talk to us a little people. bit about that as well? I, yeah. I really want to know about hyphenated people like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, I'm very passionate. It's a, it's a, it's a personal passion project. So, basically, how it started was so I wrote a book. So I wrote a book called They Don't Teach This, mm-hmm. and it's, a, it's about my life as a footballer. But it wasn't the sort of typical football autobiography. I really wanted people to understand all the sort of the things that I was never taught, but I went through from a footballer's perspective so mm. everything from identity to racism to Amazing. failure to success um friendship you know how to deal with success all of that was packed into the book it wasn't just a book about oh I banged in a goal in 2015 it was, yeah. it, it, it was a real you know it was a real kind of book that I wanted people to understand the journey is is up and down I wanted it to be a conversation with the reader so the voice changing from me to then, you know, talking to the reader. And one of the chapters in the book that really resonated with people was um, Embrace the Hyphen. Mm-hmm. And Embrace the Hyphen is about me as an England player, sort of balancing my identity as a, as a British Nigerian. And that sort of real big identity struggle of being this sort of English, English, you know, representing your country, but knowing that I was always different. And then my relationship with Nigeria didn't get off to a great start. When I first went to Nigeria, I was, you know, it wasn't great. And so that happened late on. It's only when I went to Brunel Uni that I really kind of delved into my Nigerianness. So that chapter, I think, resonated with a lot of people. And I realized, actually, this can be something bigger than just a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I sort of took the idea of hyphenated people. So the readers being hyphenated people um, and I was like yeah this could be this could be a brand um so when I was approached by side hustles and, and you know it's presented by Budweiser it was it was about me saying okay how can we sort of present the concept to the world as a sort of developing starting brand mm-hmm. inspired by a, a current product that's out in the market in my book so that's how hyphen came about and I think it's a great, I think it's a great um, series, Side Hustles, because it allows people to see people as more than just footballers. Yes. So yeah, Wilfred yeah. Zaha's got his brand. Mm-hmm. You know, Tyrone Mings is, is, you know, he's got his brand. He's got his interior design company. And, and I really love mm-hmm. that because that was what I was always about. Football was my, you know, football was my bread and butter. But, you know, I was a lawyer. I was doing media. I was doing different things. And I think that's what we should do. And that's what, I think side hustle celebrates. Mm. So really, really, I was so nervous because it was like, oh my god, I'm like releasing a brand to the world. Um, but hopefully, the journey has started where people now can follow the product design journey. I'm hopefully going to be able to release a content series called Hyphenated People, which Sick. is going to celebrate um, people and people of hyphenated backgrounds, people mm. with hyphenated careers. And the idea around it was that travel, I'm very passionate about traveling. 
And I think travel is when we really shape our perspective of who we are and our identity cultures. So it's 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 a travel brand, travel essentials brand. And the idea is that collab soon come. Soon come. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'd love to love to work with you guys. So um the idea that, you know, through the lens of travel. We can really talk about identity and 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 mm, you know incredible. the multiple identities. So I'm so excited for it. I'm so excited for it. But um, there's a lot of work. You know, there's product mm. design work. So the idea is that just like the people, how we can be two, three, four things at once. Yeah. The the product will be two things at once. Mm. So it's hyphenated product. So where you have a wash bag, it can double up as something else. Mm. So the whole nice, concept is nice, in my nice. mind. But I need, you so know, nice. I'm not a product designer. So I don't think you guys work at Nike and all these. So if you if you got any product designers, <laughs> if you got any product designers in mind, let me know because uh, I need oh, people who are ex- experts <laughs> that can bring this to life. But it's That's super well. exciting. I'm super grateful for Budweiser and uh, Tentos, the the guys that. Um, sort of brought the the project to life. Yeah, it looks amazing. It looks um, amazing. Yeah, I think it's renowned films that did the did the actual you know production. So, and my and my agent Nisha share. So very very grateful to them. Shout out to them. Yeah, shout out to them, man. Like I can, and I I think we all can attest to growing through travel. Um, all of us here, I think a lot of the reasons why we obviously started out of home is because we stepped out of our comfort zones from London and traveled to to Amsterdam. But um, there was something I picked up really early on in the conversation. And I just wanted to ask you, because I think it ties in quite well with like um, you starting hyphen and and just moving on from being a footballer and living in and working in this world now. But you said that you felt like an alien when you you first started playing football. Like you said, it's at the very beginning of the conversation. And like obviously, you played football when you were the only girl in your in your estate, and having to um, prove yourself to the guys and and fit in. Um, how did that shape you moving towards like your football career? And obviously, you said your football career shaped you and taught you all of these different things. But how did that also navigate into what you're doing right now? It's a really great question. It's a really great question because. You know, I think a lot of the times when we hit 30, mid-30s, we start reflecting on, you know, our childhood and, mm. and why we are the way we are. Mm-hmm. And I think because of the fact that from an early age, I was the odd one out yeah. and I had to kind of figure out how to be that that girl in the only... When I got older, I almost went towards opportunities that meant I was the first one. I was the odd one out. Mm. And so where a lot of people go, oh no, I can't I can't be the first one. No, I'm not doing that. That's the risk. I see it as opportunity. I see it as an opportunity to open a door. Mm. And my mum again, my mum was a big part because if my mum made me feel like an alien, I, I, I wouldn't have felt empowered in that in that individuality. So when it came to doing match of the day, first woman to be on match of the day, I was like, great. As long as I'm prepared and I can do my thing, I can open the door. I can be yeah. the first. And so uh, there's a lot of opportunities I seek out that I'm like, if I'm the tenth to do it, I'm not interested. Mm. If I'm the first, let's talk. Mm. So mm. I think I, I always try and link that back to 
my childhood because I think actually why am I so comfortable being yeah. you know now in in my position now off um uh, you know I I I have a team of people who are all white. Can I change that? Yes, but if I spent my time crying at night saying I'm the only odd one out, I wouldn't be able to do the work. So I'm comfortable in those in that space. Yeah. Um, you know, and and a lot of women, I talk to a lot of women in business, and they say, oh, you know, sometimes I get imposter syndrome, and mm. and, and and I feel like I'm not worthy of the. I said, listen, leave all of that because <laughs> you, yeah, if you tell yourself. If you tell yourself you're not worthy of that position, no one else is going to tell you anything different. That will become your reality. That will become your narrative. So the more we, we, we're we comfortable in, in, in taking up space in areas where we're, we are the only one, mm. the, the more we can change it yeah. and open the door for others. 100%. You know? And it's hard. It's hard because... I know now there's a lot of people rooting for me to do well in this job because I'm, um, you know, it's almost like the whole black nation's on my shoulders. And that that's hard. That's pressure because I'm not yeah. perfect. Yeah. But you've got to do your best and know that, okay, if I do this a good job, it will be easier for the next woman and the next one and the next one. Mm. Yeah. No, it's so true. I think we're all like, I feel like there's so many synergies between what you're going through and what we're going through yeah. and what we're doing and what we're thinking and how we feel just as like people in like in advertising and marketing, but as uh, as black people in society. And I, I think it's so interesting that you say that because us being where we are, there wasn't like, okay, our parents came to the UK for opportunity. They never came out seeking um they never came out seeking like this is I want to work in that place because that's something I enjoy doing. They worked for survival. They worked for survival. So there was never really a place for um us in the places that we are in right now. So we're the first to be right. in these situations, right. in these yes. positions. And I think it's really important and so powerful that it doesn't matter if we're the only black people right mm-hmm. now because mm-hmm. we are in these positions so we can change them to bring more people through. For and I, re- I really resonate with what you just said. Uh, um, and it's honestly. really important that, it's really important that, you know, we tell ourselves we're good enough, mm. we're talented enough, we're intelligent enough because otherwise no one else is really going to kind of know how to, you know, how to deal with you. Yeah. You know, and we have to, you know, we have to create our own networks, yep. you know, because other people do. We have to Thanks. make sure that we're part of, we are part of strong black network globally, mm. create black creative network, wow. black footballers network, black wow. this, black that. I don't care. People say, oh, you know, but it's a bit, you know, but it isn't, isn't that divisive. No, that's what, that's what everyone else has done <laughs> for <laughs> centuries. For sure, no, it's, it it's it's not exclusionary. It's not saying, oh, you know, we ain't gonna, we're not gonna sort of talk to other people. No, of course not. But it's saying, you know, where we are, where we have similar experiences of being the first or trying to break break boundaries, we need to support each other in that. Definitely, mm. that's such you know. a good way of looking at. It. Yeah. yeah. Man, any honestly, we could sit and 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 as always, <laughs> always we, we have a good conversation because it, it's true. We're like we are conver- we are conversationists and like conversationalists and we love conversation. We love speaking to people that like get our like hairs on the back of our necks kind of tingling and sort of thing. But we do have to go. Uh, but it was amazing to have you 
on our show and we will yeah, anytime 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 you want to come and speak to us you have <laughs> a platform you can come sit chill and if you're in Amsterdam let us know um but let me do my thing real quick you've been listening to the unmarked show with your boys Kieran Yaf Stephen Kwame and we were joined today by Eni Aluka thank you thanks guys <laughs> thanks, thanks so, so much. much you London boys are crazy 